A man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. This, of course, is one of the most famous and familiar parables, one that has been described as the gospel in miniature. In fact, I think we could call it all of salvation history in miniature. And the first words, I think, are probably familiar. They're kind of like the first notes of a familiar song. We hear the first words, we go, okay, we know the rest of the story. We might like it or we might not, depending on which brother we identify with. But we know immediately sort of the rest of the story. And there's something very good about that, that the parable is so familiar to us. The downside is that, of course, when things become familiar, they can often lose their significance. Father, give me the share of your state that should come to me. What do these words mean? Obviously, the son is asking for his inheritance ahead of time. This is a rotten thing to do. It's a rotten thing, first of all, just for the family farm. What it means is that the family farm will be deprived of resources that it could use, which might explain, by the way, the older son's grudge at the end. But more important, this is a rotten thing to do because of what it means about the son's view of his father. Give me the share of your estate that should come to me. He wants his inheritance now. He wants now what will come to him when his father is dead. He is saying to his father, I, I wish you were dead. I want not you, but I want what is yours. That is the horror of this sin, of that, that little phrase. I want what is yours, not you. I want what comes to me when you're dead. This is a tremendous rebellion. And the father allows it. And off the son goes, and after some time, he discovers that it is impossible to have the things of the father without the father himself. That cut off from their source, they run out. And so he finds himself reduced to the level of an animal. In fact, lower than that. He longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. He can't even eat what the most vile creatures were eating. The swine for, for, for Jews were not a very noble creature. Uh, they were, they were unclean. He is lower than an unclean animal. Cut off from his father, he loses all dignity whatsoever. Then those momentous words. Coming to his senses, we hear. Coming to his senses. Then he realizes that in, in order to have his dignity, to, in order to have all the things that he desired, he needed to be in union with his father. He needed to be back in the home. Coming to his senses, the way it's translated for us now, a more accurate translation would be coming to himself. Cut off from his father, he's also cut off from himself. He, he's, he's alien to himself. 
And he realizes the only way to be restored to himself, the only way to have integrity again, is to return to the Father. And so he does, and the Father receives him, not just warmly, but with exuberance. And it is an echo of the rejoicing of the angels in heaven whenever we return. To want God out of the picture so that we can have what is his without him. To want the things of God without God. That is fundamental to every sin. And that's why this parable really is all of salvation history in miniature. This is what the disobedience of Adam and Eve is. To say, we want what you have to give, but we want it without you. And so it is throughout history. And in the modern world, of course, you know, most modern of philosophers coined the phrase, God is dead, which is a great summary of the modern mentality. We want all of these things. We want, we want our biotechnology by which we can do all of these mischievous things. We want all this power. We want all of this know-how, but without God. And that's what we're trying to construct, a society without God. And we are discovering, as that son did, that the more we try to have it without God, without the Father, the less human we become. We want the things of, of God without him, and we find that they all betray us and reduce us to a level lower than the animals. But it's not just writ large in society or culture as a whole. Every single one of us falls into this. This is fundamental to every one of our sins. Whenever we sin, we are saying, in effect, give me my share of the inheritance. I want what you, want, what you have to give me, but I don't want you. It is preferring the creature to the creator, trying to divide these things and having happiness on our own terms and leaving God out of it. And even worse, having happiness with God's gifts, but without God. That is what every sin is. And this infection even makes its way into our piety. We, we can even find ourselves praying and going through our devotions, doing these things of God, but without God. Sometimes we can even use our prayers as a way of sort of keeping him at a distance. I'm doing these things, but I... I'm not really striving for intimacy with God. I'm just going through the motions. And that, again, is another betrayal. Coming to his senses, coming to himself. That is the turning point in the story of the prodigal son. And we should pray for the grace that it become a turning point for us as well. That he turn us back to ourselves. That he bring us back to ourselves and, get, and bring us to realize that it is only in union with the Father that we receive all of his gifts, that it is only in union with him that, that we are restored to ourselves, that we have integrity, that we have the peace of heart that we desire. And that's why this gospel is always plopped down in the, in the middle of Lent, so that we can, through the prayers of the Lenten liturgies, ask that our hearts be moved as the heart of the prodigal son was, that he turn us back to him, that by his grace he move us so that we can return to the Father 
and there find not only that the gifts are restored, but even more incredible, we are given gifts that we didn't know of before. The more we repent and the more deeply we repent, the more we make a good confession, the deeper his grace goes. It's not just a feast in a household. It's something more profound than that. The deepening of God's grace in our souls to increase our likeness to his son, Jesus Christ.